Well, this morning we are looking at Isaiah chapter 48. And um, not that you'll remember this, but about six weeks ago, five weeks ago, we talked about the fact that Isaiah chapter 40 through Isaiah chapter 48 is um, all talking about the return of the Israelites from Babylon and how God is rescuing them from their exile. So this is the last of that section of the, uh, of the thing of Isaiah. And the next section, we're going to be talking about more about the, the coming of the Messiah and some really cool things. But this is the last one. And quite honestly, as I sat down to read it, <clears throat> I was like, this is so boring. This doesn't make any sense to me. And I really struggled with it. I read it two or three times and it still didn't speak to me. But then I started reading commentaries about it and I thought, I mean, and it began to open up for me and God began to give me some insights. And as I prayed and said, well, Lord, how can I present this? What is the best way to go about this? And so what we're going to do this morning is we're literally just going to go verse by verse, uh, maybe maybe a couple verses at a time, but verse by verse from ver chapter 48, verse 1, all the way through to 22, and then at the very end, I want to just talk about what God has been speaking to me about as I've been reading this. So, Isaiah chapter 48, we will be in Isaiah 48 exclusively with the exception at the very end or near the end, we're going to go into James for just one verse. Other than that, we'll be in Isaiah 48, so you can open your Bible and just keep it there and not worry about having to bounce around. Um, <clears throat> again, this was written 210 years before this time frame, Okay. So these are words that the prophet wrote to the people of Israel two centuries before they were actually in the situation that he was describing. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel and who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel. But not in truth or right. And I want to stop there. Because those words to me did not sound, as I read them, they didn't sound very encouraging. Listen to the way that Isaiah is using phrases. Hear this, you who are called by the name of Israel. Who came from the waters of Judah who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, all of those sound good. Called by the name of the Lord, came from Judah, swear by the name of the Lord, confess the God of Israel. When, when you swear by the name of the Lord, you know, in our, in our vernacular, in our culture, that's not really necessarily a good thing. I swear to God, that's not what they're talking about here. What they're literally saying was, may God strike me dead if what I'm saying is not the truth. It's kind of like when you stand in the court of law and you put your hand on the Bible and you say, I swear to tell the truth, so help me God. Okay, so this is not a dishonoring thing. This is saying they recognize God as the highest authority and they swear by him whenever they are telling the truth. And they confess the God of Israel. He is God. He is the Lord. He is the Holy One of Israel. These are all good things. But then look at the last phrase in verse 1. They do all of these things, but they don't do them in truth. And they don't do them rightly. 
so what does that mean? Does that, I mean, uh, and this is, this is where I struggle, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, because I do want to look at the rest of this before we get too much into this part. But what I hear Isaiah saying prophetically to these people is, something's wrong. There's something wrong between you and God, and you don't get it. You are naming him, you're honoring him with your mouth, you own your heritage, but there's a disconnect. Something's not right. I want to look at that a little bit more, but let's move on. Verse 2, for they call themselves after the holy city and stay themselves on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. Again, this is talking about the heritage that these people are holding on to saying, um, saying they are, they are the people of God. They, even though they're exiled from their, from their land and not able to get to the temple because it was burned, they are the people of God. And so God is saying to them through his prophet, yeah, but... Verse 3, the former things I declared of old, they went out from my mouth. This is God speaking through the prophet. And I announced them, and then suddenly I did them, and they came to pass. Because I know that you are obstinate, and your neck is an iron sinew, and your forehead brass. And I declared them to you from of old, before they came to pass, I announced them to you, lest you should say, my idol did this. My carved image and my metal image commanded these things to happen. Now, let's hear what Isaiah is saying to these people of God who swear by God's name, who confess the God of Israel, who hearken back to their heritage of being the people of God from the land of Judah, who own the, 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 the temple and, and all of the culture of, their, um, of their, their forefathers. God says to them, all of the things that are going on around you right now, not only am I the cause of it, but I spoke it 210 years before any of you even entered into these situations. And you need to recognize and understand that it is not your little idols, it was me. I am the only God there is. I'm the only God who's capable of declaring something like that. And I'm the only God who's able to make it happen. Now, why would God find it necessary to tell his prophet, to tell the people this? Because it says that there's something wrong. These people apparently have a potential, if not the actuality, of identifying another God in their life and recognizing that God as the power that's making the good happen in their world. That just doesn't seem right. And that's what God said in verse 1. You're not working out a truth, and you ain't doing it right. Verse... Uh, Six. You have heard, now see all this, and will you not declare it? From this time forth I announce to you new things, hidden things, that you haven't known. They are created now, not long ago. 
Before today, you have never heard of these things, lest you should say, well, behold, I knew that. You've never heard, you've never known from of old, your ear has not been opened. For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously and that from before birth, you were called a rebel. So God is saying, not only did I declare it 200 years ago, but I'm even speaking new stuff right now. That you can't take ownership over or say you in any way manipulated it or in any way you had a hand in making it come about. It's all me. God says in verse 9, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it from you or for you. Now, what is he restraining? He's restraining his anger. He's restraining his wrath. That I may not cut you off. Why would God have to restrain his anger? Why would God, for his namesake, have to not cut them off? Because they are not in right relationship. Why were they sent to Babylon? Why was the nation of Israel or the nation of Judah sent to Babylon 70 years earlier? Because they worshipped other gods. Because they didn't give God first place. Because they didn't do what they knew they were supposed to do. They didn't act righteously. They didn't honor God 100%. And the end result was God said, you are going to be sent into an exile so that you can be refined. So that we can get this right. You as a nation. Well, the issue is, it's been 70 years. And they're still not there. And God's going, you know, for my sake, I'm going to cut this off. Because certainly not for your sake. Because if I were to just base it on who you were, you'd be zapped. I mean, my anger, you'd be burned. You'd be gone. Look at verse 10. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. But there's an intimation in verse 10 That they didn't get purified of their whatever it was that kept them from putting God first. Apparently, there was some type of purging. There was some refining that took place. But it was nowhere near what it could or should have been. And the end result is, God saying, you know what? I'm going to have to set aside my wrath. I'm going to have to set aside my stuff for the sake of my own name and restore you. Verse 11, for my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. Not because of you and how holy you are, because you ain't. For how should my name be profaned? And this is key. Look at this verse here, the end of verse 11. My glory I will not give to another. These are harsh words. Verse 12, listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, whom I called. I am he. I am the first. I am the last. My hand laid the foundation of the earth. My right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand forth together. In other words, another way of saying this is God says, listen up. And everything in the universe goes, yes, sir. What can we do for you, sir? Assemble, verse 14, assemble all of you, 
Israelites, nation of Judah, listen. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He shall perform his purpose on Babylon, and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. Now, this little verse here is God referring back to, verse, well, there's 14 and 15. I, even I, have spoken and called him. I have brought him, and he will prosper in his way. Verse 14 and 15 are talking about, um, uh, um, <laughs> the word went out of my mouth. The king that came and took over Babylon. No. Um, um, Cyrus. Cyrus, thank you. Cyrus, God specifically ordained that Cyrus would come and take over Babylon because God saw that he was the person who would bring about his purposes. There's nothing in here that says God and Cyrus had a relationship. There's nothing in here that says Cyrus knew about God. But God ordained that Cyrus would come to power because it would bring about the purposes of God to be, to be releasing the people of Israel out of their exile, allowing them to go back to the Holy Land and to resettle Jerusalem. Verse 16, God says, Draw near to me, hear this, from the beginning I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. And look at verse 18. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commands. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your offspring would have been like the sand and your descendants like its grains. Their name would never be cut off or destroyed from before me. Let's go back and look at that. The Lord says in verse 18 and 19, If you had only done what was right. If you had only paid attention to my commands. Now, he's not talking to them in today. He's, going, he's looking back wistfully, saying, <sighs> from the very beginning, if you remember last week in verse four, in chapter 46 and 47, we talked about God was declaring that from the very beginning of time, God established the desire and the call to have relationship with humans. He interacted with, God, with humans in the garden. He did the covenantal promise between him and Noah, and then the Abrahamic promises, and then finally, throughout all of the relationship with God and the people of Israel, God said, from the very beginning, I have said, I will bless you. And if, if nothing else, fall to your father, Abraham. I said to him, through, all of the, through my relationship with you, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. And he's saying in verse 18 and 19, here in Isaiah chapter 48, what could have been? What could have been? If you had just done what you were supposed to do, you would have peace like a river. Now, you heard me teach the song to the kids, Peace Like a River. I was meditating on that as I was studying this. And I was like, that's such a wonderful, wonderful thought. And, and it's such a religious thought, having peace like a river. It's biblical, obviously, because it's here in the Bible. But what did Jesus say about having peace like a river? Absolutely nothing. The words 
peace like a river, the phrase, only occurs twice in the Bible. Once in Isaiah chapter 48, and once in Isaiah chapter 66. Let's see what Isaiah 66 says. You don't have to turn there, I'll turn there. 66.12 For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her, to Israel, like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream, and you shall nurse, and you shall be carried on her hip, and bounced upon her knees, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you, so you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. And you shall see, your heart shall rejoice, your bones shall flourish like the grass, and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants, and he shall know, show his indignation against the enemies. What God is saying here is there's this incredible intimacy. An incredible intimacy that is a possibility. And as a result, there's this peace that comes. And it says like a river. And I didn't, I didn't really get, a, get a, a sense of what our understanding of what that was, but I came across this quote that's been up on the screen all morning long by Beth Moore. She wrote, To have peace like a river is to have security and tranquility while meeting many bumps and unexpected turns on life's journey. Now, imagine you're in a canoe and you're floating down a river. There's going to come points in the river where you're going to have to bend and go around things that have fallen into the river. There may be shallow areas. There may be rocks. There are things that are going to happen during that river journey that you can't control. But what her words were was that having this peace like a river that is described in the Bible is having security and tranquility while going through. It's not not having the bumps or not having the unexpected turns. It's having the peace while you go through. My favorite verse in the Bible, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, is Philippians chapter 4. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. If you trust God, if you keep your eyes focused on God, the peace of God will come into your life. Isaiah's words, he's the only person in all of the Bible who used it this way, are that this peace will be like a river. And it says our righteousness will be like the waves of the sea. What is that? Think about what the waves of the sea are. If you were standing on the beach, I don't know how many of you have experience of being on a beach anywhere in the world, but if you were to stand on the beach, there is a perpetual coming of waves, never ending. It's never the same wave, but the water doesn't just sit there quietly like on a lake. The water is continually rolling towards you. Now, there's lots of scientific explanations for that. There's the pull of the moon's gravitational pull. There's the rotation of the earth. There's the winds. There's blah, blah, blah. I'm not worried about that. The experience of a human being standing on the beach is you see the water continually coming at you, wave after wave after wave, nonstop, never ending. Some are larger, some are smaller, but always coming. 
And if God says through his prophet, if you would have just done what was right, you would have had my peace that passes all understanding that would get you through anything and your righteousness would be never ending. It would be flowing just like the waves on the beach, constantly coming. Sometimes a little bit bigger, sometimes a little bit smaller, sometimes huge, but always, always present, always renewing itself, if you will. If you'd only done what you were supposed to do. Verse 20 says, Go out from Babylon. God is saying, I am releasing you through my appointee Cyrus, and you are to go out from Babylon. You are to flee from Chaldea. Declare this with a shout of joy. Proclaim it and send it out to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. And he reminds them in verse 21, they didn't thirst when he led them through the deserts, talking about the exodus. He made water flow for them from the rock. He split the rock and the water gushed out. And what he's saying there is, you don't have to fear. I'm calling you back to your homeland. I'm calling you back to Jerusalem. You do not have to fear. Know that I will provide for you on this 700-mile journey from Babylon back to Jerusalem. Why was it necessary for God to say through his prophet to the people, when you get the go-ahead from Cyrus, go? Why was that command necessary? They were comfortable. They were quite comfortable where they were. They had good jobs. They had houses. They had good jobs. See, they weren't prisoners. They weren't chained and having to do manual labor like they were in Egypt. They had a life. They had businesses. And if you look at history, a lot of them didn't leave. They stayed where they were in exile because they had a good life and they were making good money. And the end result was their righteousness wasn't constant or consistent or true. Look at the last verse of chapter 48. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. He's calling them, helping them to remember what it could have been like, what it should have been, saying, even when I put you into exile for 70 years with the idea that you'd get purged, you still didn't get purged. But I'm willing to set all that aside. I still want to have a relationship with you. I still want intimacy with you. I still want to bless you. But there is a part of this that you have to own. You've got to do what I command you to do. You follow my ways, I'll bless the socks off of you. You don't, there ain't no peace for the wicked. How plain does he have to make it before the thick brass-foreheaded, stiff-necked Israelites are going to get it and respond and do what is being offered to them. 
A free ticket home with God's provision and protection on the trip. Bringing him back into intimate relationship with God. Reestablishing righteousness, holiness, blessing. And literally, he said, the potential was for you to be profitable. The blessings were... I really struggled with that. Honestly, I struggled with that because I thought when I first read it, oh God, is this where the whole... The whole um, Get rich because you trust God. Minute, uh, prosperity gospel is. I really thought, was this where it's at? And I really struggled with that. But as I read it, it wasn't that. It was God was saying, if you had, then you would have been. Now, he's not saying it can't be. He's not saying it's never going to be. But he is saying it all depends on how willing you are. To follow what you know is the right thing. I've made the offer. And the offer is still good. But for whatever reason. You are just too dumb to accept it. And you keep messing up. And you keep messing up. And you keep messing up. And I'm still pouring out my grace on you. And I'm still welcoming you back. And I'm still saying to you. I love you and I want to have a relationship with you. Will you please. Please let me bless you. This is what God is saying to the people of Israel. 210 years before they needed to hear it. I said there was a verse I wanted to share with you out of the book of James. Let me turn to it. James chapter 4 verse 8. Draw near to God. And God will draw near to you. <clears throat> Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. These Israelites who were in exile in Babylon, verse 1 declares that they called, they were known as the people of God. They were the people of Israel. They came from Judah. They swore by the name of God whenever they were doing business transactions. They confessed God as their God. But it wasn't in truth and it wasn't right. Why? Because they allowed other gods in. They gave place to other gods. And even acknowledged the work of those gods in their life. And what did God say in this passage? Verse 11. My glory I will not give to another. James chapter 4 written many thousands of years after this writing, saying to the people of God, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. Stop sinning. Purify your hearts. Walk in righteousness, holiness, purity. And stop being double-minded. Now, 
in my own heart, in my own meditations, as I have excuse me, been wrestling with this, I literally had to say to God, where am I in this? Do I own any of this? And you're not going to hear what God said to me, other than he said yes. And I said, God, I, I haven't turned my heart away from you. No, but I don't have 100% of it. You've allowed other things to creep in that have distracted you from me. I will confess to you folks, I've prayed every single day this week. I have. I've ministered in the name of Jesus this week. I've honored God with my life publicly this week. But I have not one time, except for this morning, gotten into a closet with God this week. Why? I got busy. I was sick at the first part of the week. I didn't feel good. And then I allowed stuff to happen. I will tell you, and I'm not going to say what happened between my wife and I, but I will tell you that my wife and I were making plans to go out and do stuff yesterday. And as a result of lots of things that happened, what the time we planned to go and the time that we actually left was about four, five hours different. And I was furious at her because she kept me from my private time with God. Why? Because I sat in my living room waiting for her to finish. And the Lord said, What? Are you an idiot? She chained you to that chair and wouldn't let you leave the living room? Well, I, we had an agreement. We were going to leave as soon as she was done. And... When you saw it was taking a little bit longer, why don't you get your butt up off that chair and come over and talk with me? I didn't think about that. Yeah, why? Because I was looking at Facebook. Yeah, what else? Uh, I watched a video. Yeah, what else? I did a lot of other stuff. Yeah. Did she keep you from me? No. You were stupid and you were lazy. <sighs> yep. Now, did I intentionally try to sin? No. Did I have rebellion against God and I'm not going to go talk with him? No. A friend of mine uses a passage out of the Proverbs. Beware the little foxes. That try to steal. And I had allowed the little foxes to come in. And steal. And did not allow me. Didn't allow me. To go spend time with my father. And read his word. And worship him. Because of me. Not because of anybody else. Because of me. Because I was careless. Because I was lazy. Because I just didn't do it. And as a result, I came into this worship service this morning with a sense of 
I can't connect with you, God, and I don't know why. <laughs> and he was like, I can show you if you listen. And I had to get on my face and say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Please help me not to allow this in the future. You see, I don't think any of the Israelites back in Isaiah's time or 200 years later in the time of the Babylonian exile, I don't think any of them made any conscious decisions that they were going to allow things to creep in and ruin their intimacy with God. But I know that it happened. Why? Because God said it did. And I know that it is a problem still because hundreds of, if not thousands of years later, James had to write the same thing, basically, to the people of God in the first century. And it has been made part of the Bible because apparently some of us need to hear those words. Stop allowing double-mindedness in. It is not something that is pushed on you. It is something you allow. And if you allow it, it will rob you. And God will look at you and say, If you had only, what could have been? I can still bring about good out of this. So let's not fuss about what didn't happen, but let's not allow any more time to be lost. Let's just press on from this point and allow your righteousness from this moment on and our intimacy from this moment on to be perpetual and ever-growing. I'm in it, God's saying to you. Are you? Are you willing? And that's the question that I have to leave with you this morning. I've already settled it for myself. I messed up. I allowed things in my life this week to keep me distracted from God. Not from doing the things of God, but from God. And I've had to confess that. I would encourage you to spend some quiet time with your father and say, have I allowed little foxes in that are keeping me from the intimacy and the peace that will become like a river for me? Let him be the one to answer the question and you listen. Let's pray.